Welcome to the C-Suite podcast that we're recording at Money 2020 Europe in Amsterdam. I'm Russell Goldsmith and together with Romy Wilson, uh, we will be chatting to a number of the speakers and attendees from the conference. We hope that through these short conversations, we'll be able to provide you with a real flavor and understanding of the topics and issues being discussed here at the event. So I'm joined by Cassie Bautel, uh, Chief Marketing Officer of BPC. Uh, Cassie, thanks for joining the show. Uh, should we start with a quick intro to the company? Sure, absolutely. So BPC, we're really excited to be here at Money 2020. Um, at BPC, we really focus on connecting you know, digital experiences into the payment world and really ensuring that you know, we can meet the needs of, of all consumers as they pay anywhere, anytime, anyplace. Excellent. Now, um, the fintech sector has enjoyed a pretty large boom um, in, uh, in and around the, uh, the pandemic. Is this boom now well and truly over? And how do you view the current health of the sector? I actually think it's the complete opposite. I actually think that you know during the, the lockdown and all that, people became much more acclimated to digital services, especially in older generations, which puts kind of fintech in a unique position to really be able to leverage that. So I actually think we're going to be continuing to boom and continuing to grow. I think I think there's a lot of opportunity out there. Excellent. Now, you gave a, t- a talk, uh, I think you've just come off stage, actually, yes, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and, and that was about how fintech can improve revenue generation. What um, revenue streams should other fintechs be looking at now? I think there's a ton of different technology out there that new fintechs can really leverage. Um, one of my favorites is personal financial management solutions. It really gives consumers an opportunity to have full control of their financial services. But in addition to that, you know, it has a really lot of benefits for fintechs. You know, it has really high customer retention and consumer satisfaction. And one of the other things, it's really growing revenue. So users of PFM solutions are growing revenue for fintechs five and a half times faster than non-users. So there's a lot, a lot of benefits there. But also, you know, we're seeing fintechs jump in on the credit card issuing side of things. Um, really finding niches and markets and really being able to answer those. And then, of course, you obviously have, you know, things like um, non-payment related integrations that can help solve for, you know, KYC and KYB, AML, all those. You know, it's really difficult for financial institutions to be innovative in the industry, but still also keep risk and compliance as a concern. So I think there's a huge opportunity for fintechs in that space as well. How should they be using tech better? Really, a lot of it comes down to just basic execution. I think with fintechs being so new and early on in their business cycle, we've seen a few of them sort of slide into that build it first, fix it later mentality. And I think that's obviously the last thing we should be doing as an industry. And so I I really think paying attention to business strategy, market needs, and really focusing on you know seamless integrations, et cetera, as part of your execution strategy are really going to be what helps differentiate you know some of these new disruptors. One of the case studies that you shared in your talk was Cake Bank. What can other fintechs learn from them? You know, I think Cake Bank is a really good example of understanding their market, segmenting it, understanding the gap and solving for it. And I think that's really for fintechs to continue to grow and, and um, you know, utilize this boom that's happening. It's really about doing that. And I think Cake Bake did a really good job of that and that they understood in Vietnam there is a significant financial lag for younger generations. And so for them, kind of identifying that need and then bringing a new card to market, they did a really good job. Um, you know, we were happy to partner with them and really bring them like a scalable, flexible platform that they also could get speed to market on. So with their new, just in the first year, they were able to issue 2 million new cards to you know, Gen Z and, and millennials in, in, in under 12 months. And not only that, but they leveraged our technology to be able to immediately initiate payment. So from the time of account application to first payment, under two minutes. 
it's almost unheard of, and I really think that's what's exciting. And so for, for fintechs, I would say, you know, understand your market, understand the, the gaps in that market, and leveraging that is really how you can really be the next disruptor in the industry. That's a great way to leave it. I think, uh, Cassie, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. Thanks. I'm here with Michael Shaolov, the CEO and co-founder of Fireblocks. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Let's just start with a bit of a quick intro into Fireblocks. Sure. Uh, so what we do, we do infrastructure for digital assets. Uh, we basically provide financial institutions and you know, broadly businesses um, all the infrastructure that they need to start operating with digital assets in a secure and uh, compliant way. So it's uh, the wallet infrastructure, the custody technology, a settlement network, ability to issue and tokenize uh, digital assets. Um, and we basically wrap all this as a turnkey solution that they can implement and use. And yesterday you shared the stage with representatives from Israel's Ministry of Finance and the Tel Aviv Stock Exchange. Talking about how Israel's government is preparing to issue government bonds using a blockchain technology, how did the conversation go? Yeah, sure. So actually what we announced is the completion of the first phase of uh, the proof of concept for them uh, where they issued a government bond on top of blockchain. And uh, it was like, you know, quite an important milestone, I think, for the digital asset industry as a whole, right? Because it's the first time that uh, sovereign government is actually issuing a, a treasury instrument on a blockchain. Uh, we had about 12 banks that actually participate on the bid uh, on that uh, bond. So um, the fact that you have kind of like government partnering with uh, the main stock exchange in the country and us being able to support that entire process was a, a very important milestone for us and I think a very important milestone for the industry and probably a very important milestone and a, a step forward for the entire financial system. And what's Fireblock's um, role in this proof of concept project? Yeah, so um, we provided the entire infrastructure and the uh, abstraction layer for them to first and foremost interact with the blockchain and instrument the different wallets for the different banks uh, that uh, were custodying the bond and uh, also the tokenized shaker, basically the tokenized fiat that was used to settle against the bond. And uh, we also helped to manage the entire life cycle of the issuance of the bond, uh, the settlement of the bond, and basically all the, all the interactions with the smart contracts that were representing the um, instrumentation of the process. And assuming this proof of concept project goes to plan, when will this go live? Yeah, so the first phase was clearly executed uh, last week. Uh, last uh, Wednesday, they did uh, the bid, they did the uh, issuance, they did the settlement, and that was the first phase of the POC. The POC was uh, uh, considered to be very, very successful. I think everybody are extremely excited about it, not only us, but actually like the Ministry of Finance and, uh, and the Tel Aviv Stock Exchange. And now, basically, it's going through the approvals of the next phases of the project, uh, where we need to present the plan. Uh, there are multiple options over there, what will be the, the next phase. But I think that uh, as the Ministry of Finance talked about very clearly in the session yesterday, from their standpoint, uh, they want to kind of pioneer uh, the financial, the global financial industry, especially like from, the, from a monetary standpoint to use those new rails. Um, and they want to push forward. And why is this such an important topic to be discussing at this year's event? Um, so I think there is a lot of uh, confusion uh, mixed with a lot of excitement about adoption of digital assets. And I think that 
over the last you know, nine months uh, or so, we've seen a lot of involvement uh, from both regulators, uh, central banks, clearly governments in trying to figure out how do you regulate digital assets, trying to figure out how do you actually use it, what are the exciting use cases, what are the things that we are trying to prevent. And it's just very, very timely to basically show the path where this industry is heading. And Money 2020 is clearly like the event to go and talk about the future of money. And what were the audience reactions to your session? So I think the audience, uh, both uh, in the session, the people that attended the session were really impressed and excited. And I think it was very informative for a lot of the people that attended it, especially like you know for, from the bigger institutions in terms of how they can replicate it locally in their jurisdictions. And um, uh, on top of that, the fact that we provided, we also provide a lot of uh, information online. So we've also seen a pretty big excitement online uh, on the different social networks, on the different blogs, on the different uh, assets that uh, we circulate online in terms of reading through it, asking questions, and looking forward to how to replicate and start advancing the industry in that direction. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much as well. I'm here with Claire Colmiger, the Group Chief Innovation Officer at Societe Generale. Thanks for being on the show today. Thank you. You were part of a panel this morning that discussed the power of open banking in corporate finance. And what were the main outcomes from that session? It was a, a fascinating debate uh, between banks, startups, and uh, uh, a provider uh, of technology. And I think a couple of things. First, we all acknowledge that uh, open banking is much more mature on retail. Uh, and uh, then we observed what was really possible on uh, corporate banking and corporate finance. And we had the debate around the why. You know, why are we doing that? And I had a strong point of view around uh, the fact that the driver is liquidity uh, and the fact that you want to optimize this liquidity by a better understanding of your working capital, of your flows in general of finance, and that, you know, this is opening an opportunity for banks to uh, work on data products and not just, you know, the traditional suite of products. So for me, that was a really strong point around the maturity of the sector and where are the opportunities. And I highlighted uh, our partnership with Kiriba, but also our partnership with Lemonway uh, on the marketplace uh, area. And what's Societe Generale's place within the open banking system? So Societe Generale, for the past now seven years, uh, even a little bit more, I've been very uh, uh, active uh, in pushing our open banking strategy. Uh, so we started with uh, you know, building our APIs and uh, the number of APIs we done. And as PSD2 was entering an application in Europe, we embraced the regulation and started to build more uh, on what we can do. If now I look uh, you know, on what, we, uh, on what we are doing, we have on banking as a service, we acquired in 2019 Trezor, uh, which is providing all uh, banking facilities, banking in box facilities, and uh, card, card um, issuing uh, facilities for corporates and uh, for fintechs. Uh, we then uh, did the acquisition of the payment gateway, which is under progress pay experts, uh, and the combination of our work uh, enabled us to provide large services around payments. And we launched the best e-commerce platform, uh, which provide uh, credit facilities and data product facilities combined with the payment gateway. So that's on the bank as a service. And on bank as a platform, we launched a retirement program uh, in France, uh, as well as uh, we are in the building of a dashboard for SMEs, uh, for small and medium business. Uh, so I guess, you know, 
our work was also to uh, in innovation to uh, lead uh, how can we prioritize projects and which one you know need to take scale within Société Générale. How are you leading the open banking strategy? So for us, open banking is uh, uh, two phases of the strategy. Uh, the first one is bank as a service. So when you focus on a product uh, and you're going to distribute it through the platforms of others. Uh, so that's really what we are doing with Trezor, with the e-commerce platform uh, and, and the partnership with PayExpert. So that's really, you push on the product and you want to prevent yourself from being disrupted uh, by others uh, that will, uh, uh, where you just become the pipe you want to lead uh, on the product distribution and to be excellent at that through a digital distribution. And the other side is a bank as a platform. Uh, and in bank as a platform, we are really talking about uh, you know, a by-face uh, business model where we put uh, you know, a demand and offers uh, into relations uh, and leverage on the data and the network effect in order to reach that. And that's the retirement program uh, or uh, the uh, cockpit pro uh, project that I was uh, talking about. So for us, it's, uh, it's a new business model. We're very clear about that. So it's not replacing our strategy on uh, digital sales, digital acquisition in retail. So we are at the same time incrementally transforming uh, our current business model and thinking in the medium term around building key capabilities uh, in retirement, uh, in uh, our business with uh, SMEs in order to be the leading platform of distribution because for us it remains the, the primary role of a bank. And what is Society General's biggest achievements in this area? I think I, I just covered a bunch of it. I guess, you know, the achievement was really to uh, anchor it at the heart of our strategy in Société Générale. So, you know, this often innovation could be a, a project on the side. Here I'm talking to you about a project which are regularly reviewed by, by our general management, which has the right sponsorship in the French retail or international retail. Or, uh, uh, you know, uh, in general, so I, I think, you know, I'm thankful for the people driving this uh, up, this, pro this project because transformation is never easy. And given your innovation role, what's the next technology revolution that you are focusing on? So Bank as a Service is a big area and the other one is on crypto. So we build a, another platform called uh, Société Générale Forge, which basically uh, provides from primary market to post-trade a unique way uh, through a platform leveraging uh, blockchain technology and uh, the pilot regime in France issuing a digital token in order to do things that take a couple of days, months in an instant manner. Uh, and uh, we have done already a couple of uh, emissions. We are providing uh, uh, the custodian uh, services and we've issued uh, the stable coin for FI clients and we are not doing cryptocurrencies, but for FI clients in order to convert uh, their digital token into uh, euro, uh, dollars or other areas. So for me, these are, uh, and after five years of hard work, <laughs> uh, these are the two uh, most promising areas. But as I often say, this is more in the innovation landscape. You know, there is nothing better than uh, transforming our core business. Uh, this is, uh, you know, uh, uh, what always uh, um, is probably the most efficient in terms of PNL generation, uh, cost efficiency, but also to uh, lead with all our people uh, this uh, transforming uh, change, transforming capability uh, and building new programs. So I'm super excited about that. Thanks for so much for coming on the show today. Thank you. So I'm now joined by uh, Sulab Agarol, um, the Global Head of Payments at Accenture. Um, Sulab, you're taking part in two panels this week, one about the metaverse, one about winning the wallet wars. W what are you hoping to discuss in each of those sessions? 
there's still lots of challenges within metaverse whether it is with respect to digital identity whether it is with respect to data privacy also will we have the the right competitive structure in the market um, given that the same organizations may be owning metaverse and there may not be enough competition involved so there's some risks with with how metaverse is developing and then commerce of course within metaverse comes in second once we have the nfts and the trading happening and the commerce star will start to pick up even more more over and above what's happening in the gaming industry already uh, digital wallets and the war of digital wallets is more profound, more near term. And I think that's an area that is facing all of us today as in when corporations are looking at how do they actually capture the client, um, um, whether it is on their social platforms that they can keep their client hooked on to um, and do all their transactions, have the eyeballs rolling just on their platform. Uh, you can see that digital wallet is a key area of focus. Now there's um, digital wallets to super apps have been very successful in certain geographies and less in others, clearly due to the maturity of the market pre-digital wallet and the super apps coming in, but also the depth and concentration of those platforms in those markets already had the trust of the customers and the identity and how quickly they build the propositions and the experiences around them. Um, one of the kind of hot topics being discussed here is, is Gen AI. Um, what's your take on that for the payments sector that you work in? I think Gen AI is super exciting, right? Like just the whole, I don't know if you've tried ChatGBD or Bard. Yeah, or yeah, of, of course, yeah. One of those things, and I, I've just planned, we were in Thailand last week and planned my itinerary uh, for the trip completely using ChatGPD, which is amazing. It's not an advertisement for ChatGPD, by the way. But but uh, but I feel, um, uh, from a business context as well, I mean, we as Accenture have developed like 300 use cases where GenAI could be applicable, whether it is uh, automating some of the manual activity, whether it is data and reporting type activity, or, or the use cases are just coming every day, even in terms of software delivery lifecycle, where we are seeing a lot of traction in terms of how Gen AI can actually increase productivity, which will be good for all of us because we can do and achieve a lot more. Without perhaps naming any clients, because I'm, I'm sure that, that might be a bit difficult, but can you share some of the work that you're actually doing in this space? I mean, we are looking at a traditional way of uh, doing change end-to-end and, and looking at various tools, Gen AI tools uh, in parallel and, and doing a um, champion challenger model to see how much of productivity increase we can bring in and, and then going on and executing at clients. That's just one area, but, but there's lots of other exciting projects which I can't really uh, discuss at this point in time, but, but I, I think this is space to watch. We'll have to get you back on the podcast yeah. at, at some point. Um, should we have any concerns about AI and its development? Yeah, there's uh, there's lots of concerns, um, and and you know, like when the the whole car industry was um, invented, um, in a way, the the seat belts, the airbags, everything came in after the whole industry was already developed in a significant manner. In case of Gen AI, these things have to come alongside the the speed at which it is going in. And we were seeing the adoption numbers and hundreds of millions in, in months of, of 
of consumers. It's 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 phenomenal, and even enterprises are starting to embrace it. Hallucination is a problem. There's various other problems around uh, security and safety, and and we are looking at how guardrails can be applied on Gen AI so that you know when you're making um, decisions, you're making it with. Full, full eyes wide open, and and it is a more enabler rather than the end decision maker in terms of helping us reach to the conclusions we are looking to. Final question: What's been your key takeaway from uh, Money 2020? Um, Money 2020 is still buzzing. I think we have got more attendees uh, this year in Amsterdam than than last year, which is a clear sign that payments transformation continues and is not going to stop anytime soon in times to come. Good stuff. Uh, Sula Bagarel, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. I'm here with Irina Agiva, the head of product at Molly. Thanks so much for joining us today. You're moderating a session around headless commerce here at Money 2020. Can you start by explaining a little bit more about what that is? So headless commerce uh, is actually headless by itself is an architectural approach that allows you to decouple your front-end capabilities versus your back-end capabilities. Because in a typical setup, it's also really tied together. And whenever you want to introduce change only on the front end, it entails to do a lot of different changes in all the layers of your backend system, which makes it quite a lengthy process. Headless allows you to decouple it in a nice way, so you can be, become more flexible and be able to introduce changes as fast as possible just on the front end layer. And what are those benefits from the headless commerce technology for the e-commerce retailers? Yeah, this is a really interesting one. Look, we do live in a world around experiences right now. So it becomes so important to deliver personalized experience, perform as many A-B tests as possible, so consumers receive the most fluent and the most seamless experience on your website. And um, headless uh, commerce and headless architecture allows you by this technology to achieve an iterate faster, to introduce those A-B tests, to do the personalization as smooth and as fast as possible. And Sane Borkenstein from Hauer is one of your guests on the panel today and also one of your clients. What work have you undertaken for them? Yeah, super exciting uh, uh, to speak with Sana today as well. So Hiva is a Magento 2 front-end solutions, which allows websites and small-medium businesses to actually develop their websites on Magento platform significantly faster. Molly partnered with Hiva and we successfully de delivered few integrations for our merchants on a Magento. With a Hiva capability, it allows uh, our customers to ship their websites between 50 to 80% faster when it comes to, to front-end. So super exciting to see how it's going to evolve further. For those businesses that have introduced headless commerce, what other enhancements to their architecture should they be considering? So I think in general, my view, headless commerce and any other architectural solutions should not be a starting point. The starting point should be what are the problems that you are trying to solve? What are the experiences that you are trying to bring to your consumers? And Headless is one way to achieve the better personalized and better front-end experiences. But the other consideration that companies can take into account is a composability. Because ultimately, you can decouple different parts of your system and maybe sometimes even outsource through better platforms and other partnerships within the ecosystem. But again, it does need to start with what are the pain points you're trying to address. And what are the trends you're seeing in the payment space at the moment? Well, there's no podcast long enough to talk about all the trends. 
But I think the one that really um, uh, stands out for me, and it also connected to a recent product launch that uh, we had as a company, Molly Terminal, is specifically regarding the in-person payments. I think pandemic had a significant impact on the custom consumer expectations from the in-persons and offline payments. And, real, and this line between what's online and what's offline is really blurry nowadays. You may start payments in the basket online, that you go and do click and collect an offline setup. So there is no really differentiation. Is it in-person payment or is it online payment nowadays? And um, Molly Terminal was particularly introduced a few weeks back, which allows to deliver the online type of experience with uh, the same interfaces, customize the interfaces on the, on the POS devices towards the offline space. Uh, and I'm particularly stunned and I'm really um, excited regarding the future developments, regarding the tap-to-pay capabilities where any mobile device can become uh, a payment device. I do believe that the end state gonna going to be where hardware is pretty much the regular, typical hardware would disappear and the tap-to-pay technologies would be the future of in-person payments. But for the time being, there's a right for existence for both. And that was one of the reasons why Molly decided also to invest in the Molly terminal while actively working to bring tap-to-pay to market as well. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Thank you so much. Super exciting. I'm here with Callan Carvey, the Global Head of Operations at Clio. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Can you start with a bit of an intro to Clio and the services you offer? Yes, Clio is a conversational AI and a financial assistant that helps people improve their financial lives. We take the complexities of financial life and we turn it to a simple conversation, one you would have with your friend, with the goal of engaging with your finances in a way that makes you less stressed and more happy. We offer a number of services and products driven by personalized data and insights, so each product is bespoke to the user that they get. So we have savings, budget, cash advances, and credit building, all tailored to your actual behaviors. And the idea is that we've created a simple chat interface which reduces the stress of money life. And again, so that way our users can focus on the things that make them happy and drive energy rather than the things that stress. And so Clio is there from your beginning of your financial life. So you're learning how to set a budget and save all the way, hopefully, to you need the mortgage for your next home. And so we're hopeful to be on a journey with our users and build a set of products and services that meet the growing demands of our growing user base. You're giving a demo of Clio's AI assistant later today. Can you give a little bit of an insight into the technology behind it? So in 2017, we started and our CEO and founder, Barney, he took a big bet that the future of human and computer interaction would be delivered through a conversational interface powered by AI. And he set out to apply that to human and personal finances. And it, what happened was Clio. So leveraging AI, we're able to do a number of things. We're able to make predictive um, insights into when we think you'll have a financial fee or a financial hardship and create solutions and recommendations that enable our users to get past that. Um, an example would be one of our features is our cash advance. Um, and what that does is leveraging AI and the information that we get on you as a user, we can see your inflows, your outflows, and we say, hey, by the way, Romy, you're about to hit your overdraft. And in the States, overdraft is something a bit more punitive than it is in the UK or Europe, and banks will charge you up to $35 per year overdraft, which is pretty crazy. And so we'll say to you, hey, by the way, you're about to hit your overdraft. 
either here are some tips and tools enabling you to save, or we'll say leverage our cash advance product, help you bridge that paycheck to paycheck situation and solve some of your cash flow liquidity problems. So we kind of use all of our data and insights into users to create products and services to help them. Wow, that sounds so interesting. And how is Clio's AI assistant helping its customers make more informed financial decisions? Yeah, so I think we have engagement from a really wonderful, financially diverse group of individuals, people seeking different aspects of their money situations and improving their money life. Um, and I think part of that is due to the fact that we deliver those information, those tools, those servicing in a really dynamic, fun way with our cheeky tone of voice to co-opt the British turn of phrase there. Um, but it's kind of a really fun way that actually takes your spending behavior and creates a situation that it makes you want to engage with it. So one of our most popular features is called Roast Mode. I think we're the only fintech app I'm aware of that will roast you for your spending behaviors. So it'll say, hey, Romy, stop spending so much expletive on Ubers and Zara, or hey, Callan, stop spending so much on Amazon and Starbucks, and it'll make you look at your finances. There's usually a lot of gifts. It's very funny. It's definitely kind of a conversation you'd actually have with your friends versus show me Zara, show me Amazon. On. Um, we recently had one in Halloween um, in which you had to go through a murder mystery to figure out what was killing you. Um, and it was often the things that you were spending all of your money on. And then at the end of the murder mystery, you got to then apply it towards your either savings goals or set a new dynamic budget that is actually based on you. It's not an arbitrary number you set. It's based on your spending patterns. And Clio helps you set that dynamic budget that's actually achievable within your means and your ways of spending. Are there any other use cases that you're seeing with AI in the fintech space? Yeah, so I think AI technology in the fintech space and all space will become massive. I think AI is going to be an assistant for everyone in the future. We hope to be the AI financial assistant and the one helping people, but we're even seeing other fintechs and other companies leveraging it in their UX, their customer service, internal work streams, internal flows, and kind of improving delivery to make users' lives better. We leverage kind of different partnerships and ecosystems like AWS and NVIDIA to kind of help power that data to make sure that we're building and testing sound models and making sure that that data moves faster. Because as a user, you want to ask Clio a question and you want to get that answer very quickly. And the better our data, the better ways we're able to answer users quickly and build on that kind of AI proprietary technology that we've had for quite some time. And are there any plans in the pipeline over the next 12 months and beyond? Yeah, lots of plans. We've seen a ton of growth. Um, users engaging with our savings and budgeting tools have grown 3x in the last year. Um, we grew our subscriber base 2x, meaning people actually want to pay for Clio and they want the services we offer. Um, and it seems to be working. 74% of users say their financial lives improved after using Clio, while 84% of all users say they feel better about their money. And Clio's mission is to improve your financial life and enable you to live beyond a paycheck. And what does that mean? Like, what does living beyond a paycheck mean? It goes back to what we talked about, not having that stress of everyday financial life. So what's next? How do we kind of build on what we're doing? It's more services and products to help users, but it's really doubling down on that coaching and chat functionality, building on our 
proprietary, excuse me, AI models and leveraging generative AI, LLMs to kind of make that experience more dynamic, more real, and more personalized. Um, we're going to have an announcement shortly around kind of exactly what that coaching looks like, but think about it's Clio and then some. So it's just more personalized, more helpful for you, and kind of very simplified ways to simplify your money woes, if you will. Sounds so interesting. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Well, that wraps up this episode from Money 2020 Europe. Thanks again to all of our guests who took the time to chat with us today. We hope you've enjoyed this episode and we'd love to hear any comments you may have on the topics we've covered. If you'd like to contribute to the discussion, you can do so on our Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, LinkedIn or Instagram. They are all linked from the top of the website at csuitepodcast.com where you'll also find our previous shows and supporting show notes plus links to where you can follow us for automatic downloads of each episode via your favourite podcast app. If you've enjoyed the show, please do give us a positive rating and review. And finally, if you'd like to get in touch with us, uh, you can do that via the contact form on the website as well. Or you can find me, Russell Goldsmith, or Romy Wilson on LinkedIn. But for now, thanks for listening and goodbye.